0: three two one from down in the dirty bird oh my goodness gracious the only mustard buzzard podcast on the planet this is buzzard Dream. here are your hosts ben milam and patrick mcgee Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Buzzardry. It is Super Bowl Sunday, February 12th, at the time of this recording, and we're recording a little early so we can catch the Super Bowl tonight. My name is Ben Milam. I'm here with my partner,
1: Patrick McGee. Pat, how you doing on the Super Bowl Sunday? Doing all right. You better call it the big game or you're going to get a... The big game. You're going to get a cease and desist. But yeah,
0: Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Uh, the big game. I'll cut that out. No, no. <laughs> Uh, okay, we've got a whole lot to talk about today. Two big basketball games, one more than the other on Thursday night where uh, most of you were there. I was not able to make it. Pat, you'll you'll break that down for us. And uh, two more big ones this week for the Basketball Eagles. And it is opening week, Patrick, for the Baseball Golden Eagles. And uh, we will talk the Liberty Flames We'll also take a look around the first weekend in Sun Belt Baseball. That feels good to say. This episode of Buzzardry is brought to you by Big Gold Nation. It is the premier inside source for all things Southern Miss Athletics. That is Miss.rivals.com. Thanks, Big Gold Nation, for sponsoring the episode. Okay, Pat, let's get into it. We set it up uh, last week, the big game on Thursday night. We were hoping it would be a good crowd. And I I don't know that it could have been a better night for Southern Miss basketball.
1: Yeah, it was. the yeah, 71 win. And it was a game where I'm talking about the crowd a I minute. Mean, they announced. I mean, of course, we're talking about the uh, the crowd first instead of the game. Yeah. <laughs> But they they announced over eight thousand, which I was yeah um you was know, surprised about. I really thought that you know people have said that they've I guess took out some seats, so it only been you know seventy eight seventy nine hundred. But yeah, fifth largest crowd in school history. But yeah, as for the actual game. Um, it was a game where you, you kind of started off slow. I mean, it was a 36-26 to 26 game there yep. uh, with 328 left in the first half. And then you went on a little 7-0 run. Um, Alvarez, I know, had a big layup to kind of spark that. And then I guess on, on the last possession of the um, first half, you say, went to the foul line, and then he missed the free. It was a one-and-one. And, one. and then Lafayette, they, on the last possession, they kind of just threw up a prayer. Um, not not a three but it was a a, a two where they had kind of gotten out of sorts on the possession that they, they got made it yeah um, to go up five and a half and you, you weren't feeling great and I, you talk about the um, in the first game we're talking about Kentrell Garrett or Garnett uh, really hurt uh, the team there in the first half you just didn't defend the perimeter as well but you mostly contained Jordan Brown which you um, in that in that first game and then the first half it was it was kind of the opposite. So if you look at the first half, Jordan Brown had 16 points with seven of 11 from the field, um, and and from three they had only made two threes or two of five from three. And so you were defending the perimeter well, uh, but inside, I mean, Jordan Brown who's, you know maybe the best player, one of the best players in the league. It was really hurting you inside. And then yeah, I think you saw the adjustment. Yeah, you saw Tyler Mormon come in yeah. and really was able to slow him down. Wasn't able to stop him, but in the second half he only had. Jordan Brown only had nine points. It was two of six from the field. And uh putting Mormon on him was hard, it was harder to move him versus you know Hase. Um, and that, you know, was really kind of the what changed the game was was able yeah. to stop him inside. Yeah. And then from the perimeter ULO overall was they went 0 10 from 3 in the second half, 2 of 15 uh for the game. Uh Garnett was two of five, I believe, from three. Two of four. Two of four. Yeah. Two of four. Um oh yes yeah, right it's right there I'm looking at the uh, the first first second half uh, stats yep, yep. uh for Jordan Brown but yeah um so yeah that was the difference you were able to defend the perimeter and you were able to make adjustments later in the game yep. um, to defend the paint and that was I think that was the deciding factor in the game and you were able to make some big shots you had some 7 of 16 uh, from 3 21 of 26 from the foul line it was a game that was called pretty tight um but yeah um in terms of uh, rebounding there it was um Am I reading that right? Oh, so ULL actually did re- out rebound the team forty-one to thirty. Um, so that was um, I mean that was you know big reason why uh, they were able to have some success early on. But now I guess three of those uh, offensive rebounds would have been on that last possession where they were just kind of throwing yeah. up shots, <laughs> yeah, and they couldn't quite make yep. it. But but yeah, that 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 was the the two things just repeating, but. The ability to adjust with Jordan Brown by putting Mormon on him, even though Mormon only played nine minutes in the second half, was able to slow him down and wear him down a little bit. Uh, and the ability to, um, you know, defend the perimeter a lot better than he did in that first game. Uh, that was kind of the, uh, the two things that jumped out to me in this game. So,
0: yeah, I agree. And we had, we had talked about the concern. We talked about this in the Marshall matchup, too, of when you face, if you face uh, a really talented offensive big guy. Um, And that has given Southern misfits in the past. Who would, who would, and would you be able to defend a guy like that? And you go back to that first game against Lafayette and you obviously held down Jordan Brown a little bit and he only had nine points, I think. And um, yeah, but I mean, that was clearly the emphasis for Lafayette in this game was get the ball in the hands of Jordan Brown and work inside out. I don't know, I guess maybe that wasn't quite as much of the game plan the first time we saw them, but yeah, I, I thought it was really impressive the way the staff adjusted in the second half, um, and I think we kind of answered that question a little bit. Tyler Mormon might be kind of your your stopper a little bit when you see a big, big man like that, just uh, really scrappy defensively, is not going to give up space uh, underneath the basket very easily. He's a strong guy, stronger than he looks, I think, with his frame, and, yeah, I you think you're exactly right. I mean, if, if Jordan Brown had had the second half he had in the first half, then you wouldn't have been able to go on these runs and stretch out the lead, get the crowd back into it. Um, you were just able to get big stop after big stop. Um, you know, each time there you had a little run and had a chance to really get the momentum, you needed a stop in a bucket to really, you know, push that lead out. And w- once you got it to double digits at that point, midway through the second half, it was because you got those stops and i think the the biggest reason for that was tyler mormon and you look at the the um, the attempts brown had on the field and each, two of six is that correct in the yes second i mean even beyond that he would you know he caught the he was catching the ball further away from the basket because tyler mormon would not allow him position down low i was fronting him when he needed to uh, i thought that was possibly the biggest X factor in this game was Tyler Mormon's defense. And then, of course, you know, we saw similar to what we saw in the first game was them double Hase and, and really make it a point to not let the offense run through him, which we have seen uh, more often than not. That is when this offense is at its best, is when it's in the hands of Hase to, to start the flow of the offense and had zero points in that first half but then got a few open looks, started to hit his open shots, and was, was really a big difference. And we said last week, I said, somebody other than Austin Crowley needs to have a big game. And it was Felipe Hase. And, I mean, you, obviously, DeAndre Pinckney was a leading scorer in this, had 22. But then Neftali Alvarez, you mentioned. I mean, his, his high-scoring game as a Golden Eagle. Yeah. And every one of those buckets, you mentioned one of those big buckets in the first half were huge, just at very timely moments where either it seemed like Lafayette was about to to push the lead out and they had a double digit lead, were about to to keep the momentum. Alvarez would get a big bucket to get the crowd back into it. And obviously he started some offense, had had four assists and yeah, and as we talked about throughout this this run over the last month or so, since he's been back, a little less than a month, I guess. Um Yeah, he's the difference maker offensively, and he showed that in a big, big way. And Jay Ladner said after the game, he's still not even 100%. I think he said we're seeing 65% of what Neftali Alvarez can do. Uh, Still not great from three. I think he'll start shooting it better from distance, and that will be yet another block in the foundation of the offense that you can rely on. Um, But, yeah, I, I think especially in that second half, you were kind of firing on all cylinders. Obviously, it helped to have the crowd behind you. And, uh, man, that's just a sweet night to be a Southern Miss basketball fan. We have talked in, in, on this podcast and outside of it. There was a question at the end of last year, and I had multiple conversations with people about this. There was a doubt of whether or not Ray Green would ever be like that yeah. again. Yeah, um, And maybe that was, you know, just us being in the pit of despair a little bit. But for, this, for that kind of atmosphere and to have that kind of team to win a big game like that, less than a year after a year like we had last year is is remarkable and it cannot be talked about enough how remarkable it is
1: yeah it is and it was kind of one of those things it was kind of like a community event almost yes and you know you just living in Hattiesburg my entire life you just kind of like I saw a lot of people like I don't even know but I've just recognized their faces from other things in Hattiesburg throughout the years I've never really associated them with USM but they were just kind of out because it was a big event and it was one of those things and you know that didn't happen a whole lot at USM you know maybe some baseball games in the past have been like that and you know, maybe some big football games when you're playing at Mississippi State or someone like that. But um, yeah, I mean, you had just all all, all kind of people coming out uh, and supporting the team, really having you know the city rally around uh, the team. Which I mean, yeah, I mean, like you said, if you go back to last year, I mean. I just remember talking in, in the summer, we were talking with those Georgia State guys, and we were like, yeah, you know, you guys are at the top of the league, and we're just we're just trying to get like you guys, and, you know, yeah. we, we don't know how long that's going to have or how long it would take for that yeah, to happen. Quick. And yeah. then, yeah, so now USM is the top of the league, and, you know, they're struggling. So it's just, yeah, hmm. unbelievable how fast that uh, that flip is switched. And um, uh, Just getting back to the game real quick, but a, a big breeze, and I just almost forgot, in the first half, Crowley only played seven minutes in that right, first right, half. Right, right, yeah. So he got two fouls early on. And, um, I mean, that really slowed down your offense, I mean, because Crowley's your highest usage player. And, um, you know, without him in the game, the offense um, it's, it's a lot harder. Offense is a lot harder without Austin Crowley. Yeah. I think he, he played 27 minutes overall, so he either played like 19 or 20 minutes, almost the entire second half. Um, and he only ended up with, uh, yeah, three fouls. So he was able to stay, stay out of foul trouble there um in the second half. So yeah, that was along with um the thing we talked about with Jordan Brown obviously and him having a big first half. Was Austin Crowley just wasn't playing much in the first half and that um you know, slowed down the offense um quite a bit. Um but yeah, you were able to um just get him back in the game then you made the uh, adjustments we've talked about on defense mm-hmm. which uh, yeah, that led to the win. So
0: Yeah, and you really you really I mean, you touched on it there, really flexed your muscle depth-wise to have a guy like Tyler Mormon who in some of these conference games hasn't played at all. Uh, a guy like you can a guy like that that you can bring in when the matchup asks for it. And, you know, uh, um, you know, somebody like Denaje Harris plays just nine minutes. Yeah, I was surprised to see that. Um, and Mo Arnold had his, I think it's a hip bruise or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so he wasn't close to 100%. But then you have, have obviously, Neftali Alvarez, who's going to come in off the bench and and be really, really good. And, yeah, I gave you 30 minutes. I think that's his, his highest total of the season. Um, yeah, I, I think... I think you feel pretty good right now. Um, and then you look forward to the Louisiana Monroe game, unless you have anything else. On oh, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay, you look forward to the Louisiana Monroe game, and after a big win like that, we had a question last week. I forget who asked it. Brick. Was it Brick? Okay, I think so. Yeah, Brick asked the question, um, <laughs> a very apt description of what it is like to be a Southern Miss fan. When you're having this kind of success, you're at the top of the conference, you get a big win like this, which feels almost uncharacteristic, um, probably more so in basketball because we're used to this last decade or so of not being very good, but you sort of expect to kind of fall on your face at some point. And again, this is not saying that you're going to run the table the rest of the way and go to the Final Four, but... A game like Louisiana-Monroe, a matchup like that, I think set up really well for it to be a trap-type game, for you to come out a little hungover. And this is a team that you barely beat in Monroe, a team that has won a lot of conference games and has beat some of the teams at the top of the table in the Sun Belt. Um, You were a little bit worried about. And I think
1: midway through that first half didn't look too great, but you, you found a way to pull it out. Yeah, I mean, you just go back historically, talking about falling flat on your face, you go back to that after you beat Memphis in 2012, the very next game you uh, went yeah. to UAB and lost pretty badly at yeah. Bartow Arena. And then um, even before that, like, you I mean, really, felt like every felt after every game against Memphis was a loss. <laughs> Cause it was just such an emotional game. I remember the year before when the Charles Carmouche game, you went to SMU that Saturday and got beat pretty badly. But, yeah, yeah. I thought they were going – I thought this was going to be a win just because I don't think <clears> ULMS are great. But, yeah, I, I mean, certainly – worried about coming out flat and you did come out flat mm-hmm. really I mean it was mm-hmm. uh 33 to uh, 25 game there uh with uh, a minute left um or a little, a little over a minute left the first half and you were able to go a quick run DeAndre Pinckney I uh, got the dunk to cut it to I think it was a one point game there at the half and uh you were able to start going on a run there in the second half you woke up a little bit started hitting some shots um Hase I think yeah Hase was the MVP of the game so he had I mean, 23 on just uh on just nine shots. Uh, so that was pretty efficient right there. with was 9 and 9 from the line. And yeah, it was just a matter of, I guess, uh, not super Grunberg analysis. But you just played better basketball there um yeah. in, in the second half, defended a lot better, started making some shots. And mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, it was a game you really, this would, you know, we've talked about avoiding the boneheaded losses, and well, this would have been a boneheaded loss. And I mean, that's a big reason why you're number one or top of the standings is yeah, you, yeah. like you look at Marshall, they lost to this team at home. Yes. And then USM's winning this game. Um. So that's you know that's a big reason why you're two games ahead, um, in the Sun Belt standings. So yeah, it was a it was it was good to win. I mean, at this point, you're just trying to get as many wins as you can to get to that regular season title, which we can talk about later. But, um, but yeah, it was uh, another pretty good crowd, 4,500. And uh, I mean, you kind of look at Austin Crowley didn't have his best game; only had seven on uh, on nine shots. Uh, it was two of five from the line, so he was a little slow. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, overall, uh, a good win. Absolutely, yeah, and
0: I, I think every win you get like this, outside of you know, kind of the big hype games with a lot on the line, I think every win you get like this is is continually impressive uh, because these are the games that you should win, and this if you're going to win the conference and be the one seed and want to have a shot at. Playing in March Madness, this this is the game that you really need to win. Yeah, all right, Pat. Let's take a look at how the standings shape up. What does Southern Miss need to do to get a regular season championship?
1: Yeah, so you two games um, ahead in the standings ahead of ULL and Marshall. Uh, ULL lost to um, uh, Troy at Troy on Saturday, and so you need two games. Or the magic number with both of those teams is two in terms of just combined wins and losses. Um, So you either need a win two or win one and then have them lose or some combination of wins and losses mm-hmm. equal to mm-hmm. you get a share? Uh, and then outright would be three. And, um, so you, you've already locked in the double buy. um, mathematically, it's not official yet. Um, but the loser of ODU and Jamie on Thursday would be unable to catch you, um, in the standings, which would be 10 teams, which is you need to be a better than 10 teams to get that top four. Um, so that's locked in. Um, so ULL still has to go to um uh JMU and then um and then uh, Marshall still has to go to JMU and they also have to go to ODU which could be tricky. Uh so in my opinion if I think both of those teams will lose at least one more um so I think 14-4 will um get you I think 14-4 will definitely get you a, a share yeah. and I think it will probably get you an outright title. Um so yeah, you're in really good shape with the standings. Um but yeah, three and four, definitely getting the one. Uh, two and two, or, or, three, or three and one. Three, I said three, or three and one it would definitely get you the one. Uh, two and two get you at least a share, um, and I think she'll probably get you the one seed. One and three might, get, one and three could get you a share because, uh, you know, I said Marshall and ULL still have some tough games left, but it probably wouldn't get you the one. Um, so yeah, we'll get into these next two games, but I think if you... Win this game against South Alabama. I felt like this is the toughest remaining game left, being this on the road South Alabama's playing. South Alabama's seemed better than the record would indicate, I think. I agree. You look at a ULM team that might be a little worse than their record would indicate based on how they have did versus their efficiency metrics. I think South Alabama's the opposite of that. Where they're a pretty good team. Um, so I think if you win the South game, I think you're going to be in really, really good shape to get that one seed and an outright title. But we'll get into that.
0: Yeah, before we talk this next week, uh, just a hypothetical scenario. You go 2-2, two and two and you are tied with Lafayette, what's what's the tiebreaker breakdown?
1: It would be who is the um yeah so yeah your record against third place team so if it's JMU um you would obviously be one 0 against JMU ULL has not played JMU yet um and then um but if it's the third place team uh ULL would have that head to head um because they beat. Marshall that, that or sorry if the third is Marshall ULO would have the headache because they beat Marshall and USM lost to Marshall, right, Um So right, and right. then and then it would go down. So if if it's fourteen and four, like if, let's say ULO wins out, um, um, and uh, at at fourteen they're fourteen and four. USM goes two and two. So those two teams are at fourteen and four, and then let's say JMU wins out, um, which would let's say that would make Marshall the fourth and JMU the third. And so USM and ULO would both be 1-0 against JMU, which is the third-place team. Then Marshall would be the fourth-place team. And it, that, that it would, after the third-place team, would go down to the fourth-place team. And then ULO would have that tiebreaker. So yeah. I think any, most scenarios involving a tie will not work out well for USM, I don't think. Um, so you really want to win that outright title. Yeah. Because uh, you would be, you know, guaranteed the 1-0 in that situation. So um but yeah i think there's a couple scenarios where you you can share and still get the one but most i don't think work out so yeah you, you want to win the outright
0: so yes you do so three is the magic number two more this next week the first being at as you mentioned the south al jaguars down to mobile in the mitchell center take us through uh, we've obviously seen south alabama but take us through where it sets up
1: right now Yeah, so they they're playing pretty good basketball and they're um and they won four out of their last five. They're 155 in net, 138 in Kinpon, 133 in Torvik. So, their team, I mean, they're, you know, probably finish 10th pla- or eighth, ninth, tenth place in the conference. But really, if you look at the efficiency metrics, they're probably fifth or sixth best team in the conference. And they played a very difficult non conference schedule. They played four or five teams that are either going to make the NCAA or the NIT. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you just kind of look at them. When we, uh, the last game against South Dakota, I screwed up in, in the way I uh, talked about their third, their, uh, Three-point defense. I said that they um, allow a bunch of three-point pointers. They actually, don't. So, because um, I was looking at or reading it wrong, but um, only 28% of uh, their field goals attempted against them are threes. So they defend the perimeter well. If you scroll down a little bit, the, the point distribution: only 22% of the shots or the uh, points they give up are three pointers. So they don't give up a whole lot of three pointers. Yeah. Uh, they do give up a lot of twos, um, but you look individually. Uh, you know, we talked about Isaiah Moore. He's a guard. He can, um, you know, get to the basket, distribute. Not a three-point threat really. He might. You know, he averages a little over um, one three attempted at game. So he'll take a uh, take threes, but he, he's not a great three-point shooter. We're talking about Kevin Samuel, transfer from Florida Gulf Coast. I think he's the active leader in, um, in Division One and rebound. So he's a he's a true big man. He's seven foot, uh, seven footer, six eleven guy. Uh, you look at Owen White. He's kind of he's a, a three-point specialist uh transfer from Michigan Tech there in Division Two. He averaged about two threes a game. Um, Greg Parham's another guy that can shoot the three. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a game that, I mean, like I was saying, I think this is the toughest um, opponent left uh, on the – or a t- toughest game left. Um, and, I, yeah, it was probably the toughest opponent left too. Um, so it, it's a game where um, you'll be favored. It'll probably be, you know, a two- or three-point line. Um, but this is a, this is a dangerous team. It's really a team that I would hate to see in a, in a one eight, you know, one nine type game yeah. in, in the quarterfinals because I think, um, like I say, they're a little bit better um, than their record would indicate. So, um, but yeah, that's and they actually do play. They play on Monday, um, a game on Monday against Hartford. Hmm. Uh, Hartford is transitioning to Division Three, so they're independent. Um, and I guess South they just want to get another game in. But um, so yeah, keep an eye on that, maybe. But um, but yeah, that's that's yeah. I don't have anything to add on that.
0: Anything else on the Jaguars?
1: I think that's it. Hopefully, I have a big USM crowd there.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Back home on Saturday for Senior Day, last home game against Georgia Southern, who has been kind of up and down this this last stretch. I guess you could say second half have not been nearly as good, Pat.
1: Well, yeah, but they, they they did sweep uh, this last week. They played, uh, they beat JMU, and then they uh, beat uh, Arkansas State as well. So, but yeah, they're they're fourteen and 13, 7 and seven in the league. Two hundred eight net, two fifteen Ken Palm, one eighty six Torvik, and um, they're a team. Uh, they don't really shoot the three well. Thirty uh, one percent three point shooters are a lot better defensively, or a little bit better defensively than they are on offense. Just in terms of uh, adjusted efficiency, one hundred sixty five and adjusted defense efficiency, um, and then um, two hundred fifty five. Um and adjusted offensive efficiency. Um and their team, you just scroll down a little bit. Um they don't turn the ball over a ton. Um and then I just, just getting in the individual players. Um yes, yeah, so their best player, Andre's uh, Savasov, uh probably not saying that right, but he's a transfer from uh, Texas Tech, he's averaging 13. Uh he's a he's a big man, he can shoot a little bit. Uh Jalen Finch, um he's a um averaging eleven. K Archie's averaging ten. Um, so their team, there not a whole lot stands out about them. They don't, um, they don't have a high assist to field goal um, uh, ratio, which makes me think maybe they don't have great point guard play. But they don't turn the ball over a ton either, so um, maybe they do have good point guard play. But I really haven't watched them outside of the game against Lafayette. But they're a team. Uh, they're a team you should be able to beat at home. Um, they're a good team. That I mean, you could see them again in the uh, in that we were talking about the one eight one nine game. I mean, I would rather play Georgia Southern than the one eight game than South Alabama just because I think South is Al, South better yeah um yeah but yeah it's it'll uh, be senior day and it's a game where if you um you know if you beat South Alabama and then you go into that Jordan Southern and you beat Jordan Southern you would hit, clench a share of the conference uh regular season title so I, I would wonder if they would cut down the nets for that game I don't know if they would or not hmm. um but yeah hopefully a big big crowd on campus that day with um you know baseball obviously as sure well, so but yeah the early game noon on Saturday right yeah and the baseball at two correct four
0: four yes that's right okay gotcha yeah and georgia southern i think has lost i should probably verify this i think they have lost five straight on the road so they've they've been much better okay at yeah. home let's see two yeah they have lost five straight on the road so yeah this was the matchup that you like but <laughs> as we've talked about there's uh there's not a game that you could sleepwalk through and, and expect to win so you're gonna have to play good basketball in on this one too anything else on basketball pat
1: I think that is it, uh, 57 and net uh, still. Right. Um, I guess... It moved down a little bit after e, Monroe, right? Right, I think yes. overall the week you, you gained two spots. I think you came into the week at 59. Yeah. Um, now you're at 57, you're 53 after the Lafayette win. Um, and just in probabilities, uh, Torvik, I think, is projecting 75% chance of an outright title um, and 94% chance uh, for a share. So, I mean, you're... Heavily favored to win a share, and you have you know pretty heavily favored to win a sole title, and we you know we talked about those scenarios, but those are just some of the probabilities, though. Um, yep. So yeah, that is um, uh, basketball. Um, really, I mean, we we talked about if you win the regular season title, you're automatically guaranteed um, in NIT. Uh, but I think even then, I think you're still in pretty good shape for an NIT at large, regardless, uh, given that you're in the top 60 in NET. Still not liking the chances of an NCAA at large. Um, I know that's gotten a little bit of talk, but um, you know, we'll see if that's changed. Yeah. Vanderbilt won two games this week, so that helps a little bit. But they're still in the mid 80s and that, so they're not really a tourney team. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of that Liberty game on the road is kind of your, yeah. your one big Q one win right now. So, well, and you you mentioned
0: last week that top 50s when you start thinking about an at large bid. What's the range where you start to feel good about it? Oh,
1: I don't think there's any range where you start to feel good about it.
0: What's the best range possible where you I say think, you win out the rest of the way?
1: Yeah, well, if you, you went out and you just start bludgeoning teams and you're in the top 40, then maybe you, you would – I think you would definitely be on the radar, it would be. But uh, even then, <laughs> if you're top 40 in net, you would still yeah. be like 33-67. I mean, it, it, this team, they're going to have a very similar resume – to those thirteen and fourteen teams, where they're gonna they're gonna have a lot of wins, mm-hmm. but they might only have like one top fifty slash Q one win. And even those, I mean, those uh, thirteen and fourteen teams were top forty RPI. And now you overhaul the RPI. Now you have the net, and you know you're thinking, well, most likely, best case scenario is like you're fifty in net, so you're not gonna be as good as net as you were in RPI in those years. Sure. Uh, so, so I mean, win the conference tournament. <laughs> I I think so. Yeah. I mean, every I mean, you have like Iona in 2012. They were a team that won a bunch of games, and they were kind of not on anybody's radar in a, a league that was thought to be one bid, and they got in. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't happen a whole lot. So, right. Um, even though I think Sunbelt's one of the better one bid conferences, I was looking at earlier today, but um, still I I would think it's a conference tournament or bust. But you yeah. know, talked about it. Getting that buy, you're in good position. Yes. Uh, to win that conference. Yeah. Got to win so.
0: three games of the conference tournament with the double buy. Okay, Pat, let's talk a little baseball. Golden yes. Eagles will take the diamond for the first time since exiting after Super Regional last year. We broke down the full uh, baseball. We did a full baseball preview two weeks ago. So if you haven't, haven't heard that, uh, be sure to go back and listen. Now we're rolling right into our weekend previews. This It feel, feels good to be back in the saddle, Pat. We're talking the Liberty Flames. This is this is no North Alabama type no, opening no. weekend,
1: <laughs> Yeah, so there was a team that 37 and 23 a year ago, 19 and 11 in the Atlantic Sun. That was a, they got a share that title, I believe, with um, Kennesaw State. Um, and they were an at-large team a year ago. Uh, they're 41 RPI, 51 Massey, so they were top 40, top 50 type team. They've been a three-story regional, so they have had consistent success here, and they were just a preseason pick uh, to win the Atlantic Sun. I would like to if I might come back and see if I can find the uh, the voting on that, so I might come back and, uh, and read that. But I don't know if they were the consensus favored or not. But uh, the thing that really stands out to me just, uh, and I've, I've got a lot of this from this information from AC of Red, which is like a, a Liberty blog, and they had a, there was a press conference, that, you know, their whatever their version of media day is, um in Lynchburg, and their coach um, kind of guess went through the rotation a lot of that kind of thing. So the rotation that they are projecting to roll out there is Garrett Horn on Friday, and we'll get in, we'll get into these guys, but he's a lefty. Uh, Nick Moran is a lefty. They're expecting him to go on Saturday. Then Mikey Tepper on Sunday, and he's a righty. And really, the pitching is what I, I think is definitely their strength. I mean, you look at Garrett Horn. I didn't realize they had these kind of, you know, arms and the rotations. So they have Garrett Horn. He was a guy uh ended the year early with an injury. Um, I don't think it was super serious, but they had to shut him down. But he was a guy, 193. ERA, 105 whip, and he had 24 walks, 80 Ks, and 56 innings. So, I mean, he had a 14 K over now, and he was a true freshman last year. Golly. And uh, just kind of looking at the various um, the various draft boards, I mean, he's the guy that's projected to go day one, 2024, and has a shot to go first round, 2024. So he's a very, very good lefty. He was picked um, Atlantic Sun uh, preseason pitcher of the year there um so yeah i mean he's a lefty 91 95 with the fastball he's been up to 97 i think at times uh and he's gonna throw a change and he's gonna throw a curve um so yeah i mean he's a three-pitch guy i mean i guess the one thing you can kind of knock him on is i guess he didn't have super great control command i mean 24 walks and in 56 innings is pretty average but has big swing and miss stuff um and yeah, misses a lot of bats so he i mean he's a very uh formidable opponent there on, on friday then you look at uh, nick moran Saturday. Don't know a lot about him. He's another guy. I think he's another sophomore. Uh, didn't pitch a whole lot last year. He had a six two three ERA, a 1-4 or one whip. Went through 13 innings, uh, six walks, 12K. So, I mean, he kind of looks, just based on the stats, kind of like a crafty lefty. Yeah. Not big stuff. Our but favorite. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you love him to go up against a potential 2024 first rounder lefty, and then you love him to go up against another uh, a crafty lefty there on 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 Saturday. But And then Sunday, so kind of a, uh, a wild card, or guy that has a high ceiling, low floor mikey tepper so he's a transfer from state and he was a guy that was top 100 recruit at a high school out of fort mill uh high school in south carolina and he's a he's a junior uh but he, he state last year he was nine four had a nine four ninety 203 whip so obviously not great numbers but he's um been up to you know 96 97 he's probably gonna sit 92 to 95 he's gonna throw a fastball a slider and a change up and uh, he was a guy i mean he pitched in the cape last year and they said his fastball was great it is one of the best fastballs on the cape so we very talented guy. Didn't throw a whole lot of strikes at State. I mean, he had 25 walks and over or, uh, 24 innings, 29 uh, Ks there. But he was a, a very decorated prep player. Um, and they're going to roll him out there on Sunday. And I think he, in just reading about his fall, I think he threw two scoreless innings against Virginia Tech. And the fall of Virginia Tech, obviously, was a national seed last year. Um, so, yeah, he's a talented arm and, uh, you know, somebody that has, has a high ceiling. And then you just um, look at some of their uh, bullpen arms that they could throw out there. Uh, Trey Cooper, who's a lefty transfer from NC State. He's 91 93, a fastball slider guy. Uh, didn't really throw much at all at NC State. Uh, Garrett Ganey, somebody that you could see. Uh, he's a left handed transfer from uh, Winthrop. He's a guy. Didn't have great stats, but threw 71 innings. 6'62 uh, ERA. Uh, and then the guy with a big arm, Tyler Germanowski. He only threw three and two thirds um, innings last year, but he was up to 97 in the summer. Uh, so he could be maybe a, a closer type of guy for him, and then another guy that really—I mean—he was getting first-round buzz for this year um, before last year. Trey Gibson, so he—he he was kind of had a similar season um, to Garrett Horn as a freshman, but as a sophomore, he just took a step back. So he had a three-three-two ERA as a freshman at twenty-one, and then that ERA basically doubled as a sophomore. Walk rate went up, got hit a little bit more, uh, but he was—I mean—he was the guy last year. He was Atlantic Sun preseason pitcher of the year, so I mean, he had some um, some high praise. Uh, before last season, but he's going to work mid to low uh, 90s. Um, he, he's a right hander. Um, he's going to throw a curveball. Um, so yeah, they have some some big arms there. Um, so yeah, some big arms, some talented arms. And then I guess uh, position player wise, if you can just scroll down a little, um, or down or down below that, and then I I guess that yeah I carried over to the next. Okay, there yeah. You. So I guess just in um position player, great bets. Uh He's kind of one of the um I guess. He's a catcher that's gonna lead off, uh, which is unorthodox. But um, he's guy at eight forty six OPS, hit uh, seven home runs last year. Um, Baseball America graded him or rated him as the um, highest um, or, or best defensive catcher um, in the Atlantic Sun. Uh, Jalen Guy, center fielder, guy not he's not gonna hit a ton, uh, but can really defend, can uh, carry or cover a lot of ground, uh, and can really throw apparently. Um, so he would probably be a guy you see toward the bottom of the order. Three Hillier is a left fielder that yeah, I think he's a guy, just kind of looking at his stats, could be a guy that could be the big middle of the order power guy. He hit uh, close to 900 OPS last year at seven home runs. Uh, Jake Lazaro, a shortstop, played a little bit last year, had a good fall. They're expecting him to take a jump. Cameron Foster uh, is a guy that has some power Uh, because he, he led the um, team in extra base hits at six home runs, 758 OPS. I saw him on a couple draft boards. I think they expect him to play third base. Also, he struck out 72 times, so there's some swing and miss there. But this team, uh, 815 OPS is a team a year ago, uh, so pretty average offensively. But we talked about, um, you know, those arms. I think the pitching is going to be the strength, and I think offense, they're probably just pretty average. But this is a good team. This is a team that's – Likely, I mean, you would say pretty good chance to win their league and a team that's um, top 40, top 50 team like they were a year ago. So this is, yes. um, like you're saying, very much not a North Alabama, which was, you know, kind of just a couple of cool scrimmages. This is going to be um, a real test where you, you'll be happy if you take two out of three. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And we neither of us have been able to get out to a fall scrimmage since the one you went to a couple of weeks ago. But it sounds like, I think it was Dima Mixon who tweeted, Tate Parker was was the starter in left field. Um, uh, I I guess that was on Saturday or Friday. I, Friday, I Saturday okay. got rained down. Okay, there you go. So I, that is uh, that's not official. They've not come out with a lineup, but um, yeah. I mean, they're just I guess some uh, some rumblings <laughs> that Tate Parker is going to be out in left field. But I would expect even if he does start opening day, I would expect them to both Resuing and Tate Parker to play a, a good bit. I would expect Resuing to start at least one game if he's not the starter. So it it feels like I mean reading through those numbers and those matchups pitching wise it feels like and I mean and the offensive numbers for Liberty I mean you're going to have to like you mentioned play really good baseball but I think you're specifically going to have to compete at the plate. This is I think this is a staff that could early in the year especially when arms are typically ahead of ahead of bats you could easily be shut down and have a really quiet weekend on the offensive end and as we talked about in the baseball preview, not a lot of weekends against good teams you can afford to do that, especially with the inexperienced staff you have beyond Tanner Hall and a few other guys. And so, uh, again, especially early in the year when a lot of those guys have, have not even seen action on the Division One mound. So, yeah, uh, Patrick, in, in your opinion, what needs to happen? Obviously a lot of open-ended questions a little bit Going into opening weekend, but what do you think needs to happen to get two out of three this week?
1: I think you need to run up the pitch count on Garrett Horn in that in that first game. And I think just the, the nature of opening weekend, teams aren't going to extend starters that long. I mean, I would guess sure. Hall and Horn will both be, you know, probably an 80, 90 pitch count. Uh, but get that pitch count kind of, up, get in that bullpen, although, you know, we talked about that as big bullpen arms as well. But uh, you're going to need your righties to, to hit because yeah. this guy's really tough on lefties. And uh, when you talk about Tate Parker, I think with Tate Parker, we'll get the start on Friday and Saturday because they're expecting lefties on both of those days for Liberty. And then I think you would slide Ewing in there on on Sunday against the righty. So you're going to need your right-handed batch. You're going to need Chris Sargent to maybe give you some power. You're going to need Tate sure. Parker. Um, and, yeah, I think uh, just kind of curious also to see um, Edsel on the base paths. Yeah. Um, and he'll be, you know, we t- talked about um, – uh, Gray Betts is, um, you know, maybe the best uh, defensive catcher in the Atlantic Sun. So we'll see um, how that plays out. But, yeah, getting those pitch counts up on, on Friday. And then Saturday, I'll just be curious. I don't, I don't, Again, I don't really know a whole lot about the Saturday. I can't find much information on them. Uh, but, I mean, kind of same game plan there uh, on Saturday. Get the lefty out of the game yep. um, if you can. Uh, but, yeah, it's, I think um, – and then, I guess, starting pitching, I think you, you expect right. Tanner Hall. Uh, pitch well one Friday, but then I, I think you would. I think we're expecting Adams on Saturday. Yeah, I was going to say Adams, also. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want Adams and Mazza to give you five or six innings because we talked about how unproven the bullpen is. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you're not going to see starters go, you know, seven, eight, nine innings on opening weekend, um, maybe seven at the most. Um, but yeah, you you would want your starters to be able to go five or six innings so you can limit uh, the um, kind of the bullpen, yeah, um, if at all possible. So
0: yeah, you'd like to really. Be able to save some bullets in the bullpen and kind of air it out against UNO on Tuesday. That'd be yeah. the ideal situation. Pat, anything else on opening week? It should be a good crowd. Yeah, that's going to be cold, but it should oh, be it sunny. Is. I think. Oh, uh, should I don't be like the cold. Good weather, yeah, but it will be a little chilly, I believe. I guess I mean the the Saturday game and Sunday. I mean, you'll obviously be middle of the afternoon, but Friday night. That's that's going to be pretty yeah. chilly. Let's see. Yeah, low of, low of 37, high of 53 on, on Friday. Similar, actually similar on both Saturday and Sunday. But, yeah, should, um, I mean, as long as the rain stays away, I think you got to be yes. happy. So, yes. anything else on baseball, Pat?
1: I think that is it.
0: All right, Pat, let's make a trip around opening weekend
1: in the Sun Belt. Yeah, so Sun Belt, 14 baseball playing schools. In CUSA you had 12. So, um, you got to talk about two more series, um, uh, than you would have in Conference USA. But um, Georgia State hosts Cincinnati. Um, that's actually going to be that's at 2 o'clock on Friday. So And then the other game we're going to talk about, or the next game we're going to talk about, will also, those will be the, um, I guess, first pitches of opening uh, weekend in the Sun Belt. But, yeah, Georgia State-Cincinnati there in Atlanta. Uh, ODU hosts St. John's at the same time um, in Norfolk. Uh, Coastal plays in a tournament, uh, let's see, with Fairfield. They're going to play Fairfield, MTSU, and VCU. Um, and that's in uh, that's in Myrtle Beach. Uh, App State's going to host a weekend against Queens University. That's Queens University's first Division One game. They're uh, coming up there um, in Division One, and they're in the Atlantic Sun. JMU uh, goes to Florida State, um, and then we talked about our series. Uh, Georgia Southern hosts West Virginia. That could be um, interesting. Georgia Southern's team this I think most people are projecting them to make a regional. West Virginia they didn't make a regional a year ago, but they were kind of just right outside yeah. uh, of that conversation. Um, Arkansas State hosting a series against Arkansas Pine Bluff. That's not going to be good for the RPI, but I don't think Arkansas State probably won't be in the, the at-large uh, mix. So I think they're just trying to get some wins. Uh, Texas State hosts Northwestern. I'm talking about Texas State's another team uh, projected. I think, were they second? We, we need. Let's. I guess after this, oh, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about the preseason poll. Yeah, we'll come back um, to that. After this, but they're uh, a team that's projected to be um, one of the top teams in the league, Texas State. Uh, Troy's hosting Evansville. Um in a weekend, and uh, let's see, is that a, that a, Troy, they've played, that's okay, that's a three-game weekend, um, ULM is hosting um, Bradley and Monroe, um, ULL goes to Rice uh, for a three-game series, um, so obviously Rice, not nearly as good as they used to be, but that is a road series for ULL, um, so that maybe could be a little bit um, uh, tricky, South Owl, they're hosting a round robin, in um, Mobile. So they play one game against Northwestern State, two games. They play doubleheader Saturday against Eastern Kentucky. Then they play a game Sunday um, against UAB. So that's a four-game uh, tournament there uh, for South Al. And then Marshall plays St. Louis in Hoover. That is a, So that's a neutral uh, series in, in Hoover hmm. against St. Louis. I guess they just needed some place for them to play. Um, so yeah, that is um, the week one in the Sun Belt. And then also just get to the uh, the three other three um non conference weekend teams you play now, Illinois is at um Wake Forest and there is another team and there's a it's a three team tournament. Okay, yeah. So they, they play four games, two against Wake Forest, which is a top ten preseason team. They have some really good players, Wake Forest does. And they also play two games against Youngstown State. Um so if, if Illinois were to somehow win all four of those maybe they get some top twenty five buzz. But I think if if you were them, I think you would take a three, three and one weekend, um given uh, the Wake Forest is supposed to be really good. Uh, Dallas Baptist hosts Fordham uh, there. And then Valpo goes to Kansas for a three-game weekend. Um, So those are the other um, teams that you are playing in the um, non-conference weekend. UNO, who's the midweek opponent, they are opening at Kennesaw State. So um, three-game series at Kennesaw State, which um, obviously USF is familiar with them uh, from last year. Um, So, yeah, those are just some of the uh, the conference series. And then a couple other series I'm kind of watching from outside of uh, the league.
0: Yeah, let's let's wrap around to the preseason yeah. poll. Um, Southern Miss is obviously picked to win the conference in the preseason. Georgia Southern and Texas State actually both tied for second. And then uh, Louisiana, Pat, you want to break that down the rest of the way for us?
1: Yeah, so you have Coastal at five. They got a first-place vote. Uh, South at 6. South, I I think they have one guy that's throwing up to low 100. I think he's like 100, 101 in the fall. A guy named Sam Knowlton, I think. I I don't know if he can throw it across the plate, but I I swear I saw a graphic from their uh, social media that had this guy throwing 100 miles per hour in the fall. So we'll see. But yeah, ODU 7, Troy 8, Georgia State uh, 9, JMU 10, ULM 11, App State 12, Marshall 13, Arkansas State 14. So that is the, uh, um, there's your standings. Any any surprises there? Um Yeah, I don't know.
0: I yeah, I mean it's I kind feel like of... Georgia State, I'm sorry, Georgia Southern, Texas State, Louisiana. They're all kind of bunched together, it feels like. Obviously he... tied for second place and then Louisiana not far behind.
1: Yeah, Texas State returns some pitching. I mean, I think we talked about Levi Wells last week. I think him mm-hmm. and Tanner Hall are the you know two pretty clear cut best starters in the league. Levi Wills could go in the first round for Texas State. So I like that uh, about Texas State. And I also think uh, they also added a transfer from Houston. I know Nathan Madero's, I believe, is the name. He's a guy that could start for him, And then they also had another guy on the first team, a uh, pitcher, um, Zeke Wood. So I think Texas State has some pretty good pitching. I think they did lose a lot of offense. I think that offense right. they had last year was pretty old, and those guys graduated. Uh, but I like Texas State's pitching. Um, ULL, they'll see. Um, I know they had Carson for one of the better players in the league. Um, Noah Ledford won He's a DH. Uh, he won preseason player of the year there for Georgia Southern. Um, I know Georgia Southern. They have. Um, I don't know if he made the team. You know, I don't. Th- I don't think he made the uh, the All Conference team. But they have a, a transfer from. He pitched for him last year. Uh, he had a transfer from Tennessee Tech. That was pretty good for him. He's a lefty. Um, so I, I think Texas State. I would put them two. And I would say, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. This thing. I don't really know a ton about these teams. I just haven't been in the sure. league with them. Yeah. But I do think Texas State is the second best team in the conference. I would say.
0: Okay. There you go. We'll find out a little bit. About the Sun Belt after this weekend, Pat. Anything else before we wrap it up?
1: Uh, I think that's it. I don't think there were any other like administrative notes or anything. Yeah, so. I don't think so. No house cleaning. Uh, do you want to share your Super Bowl prediction? <laughs> oh yeah, well I guess people will have already. Um, oh yeah, watch wow. Super Bowl. But if yeah, I guess just to laugh at if it <laughs> if it if it ends up being bad, I think uh, Eagles will win twenty seven twenty four. I think Jack Elliott is going to kick a fifty two yard field goal to win. Well, wow. okay, well yeah, we'll uh <laughs> Well now you gotta give yours.
0: Yeah, I do, I do. Um I'm I'm I have been a Philadelphia Eagles believer since the season started. and that that is on record. I said that on a broadcast during high school football. Uh part of it was because Jalen Hurts was my fantasy quarterback, and so was, there's was a little bias there, but I think they're the better team. I think I'm hoping for a better game than this, but I think the Eagles I I think they kind of run away with it. I think 38, we'll say
1: 38-24. I could see that, honestly, though, because yeah. the Chiefs have had a bunch of injuries at receiver, and that right. really um, you know, slowed their offense down against um, Cincinnati for a while. Yes. So,
0: okay, yeah. well, there you go. Um, our our Super Bowl predictions that you will hear after the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, we hope you have a great Super Bowl. S- well, no. They would have already had Super Bowl Sunday. We hope you had a great
1: had. hope
0: you had a great Super Bowl Sunday and hope you have a great week full of a lot of Southern Miss success. Two big basketball games and a big baseball opening weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun, hopefully. This is a fun time of the year. Crossover, it is. crossover season. Especially with basketball winning. That's exactly right, man. Yeah, it's it hasn't been like this in a long time. So mm. soak it in. Enjoy this baseball weekend. Uh, it's a good time to be a Golden Eagle. It is. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of Buzzardry. That is Patrick McGee. My name's Ben Milam, and we hope to have you with us next week. This has been Buzzer Dream. Thanks for listening, and be sure to share and leave a review. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at buzzardreepod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.